Hi, I'm Arlen Walker, and I am live from Pelham's Wasteland. Today, I wanted to talk a little bit more about a couple of things. Um, the big one is that we played another episode of the Marvel Superheroes Phase Rip game last night, and I wanted to talk a little bit about it and how it worked and what I liked and what I didn't. And by that, I mean I liked a lot about it, and uh, I don't think there's any big standout didn'ts. Um, so good news there. Um, excuse me. And I also wanted to talk a little bit about um, theme and game mechanics, and that sort of ties in with the the phase rip game. Um, so yeah, stay tuned if you want to hear about Marvel Superheroes phase rip and theme in game mechanics and what I'm thinking about overviewing next. Hi, Arlen. Colin Spypit here. Man, that era sounds like a pretty cool system. I've downloaded it at your recommendation, I guess, and um, had a quick skim through it and we'll be going back to study it further. I found it interesting you um, you enjoy the, the dice aspect. I really like a dice pool. I find it quite intuitive and dramatic there's a sense of um well like a ritual with picking out dice and rolling your dice so i i I really like games that use that to the fullest shall we say so anytime you want to run that era if we can uh, if the schedules can line up i'm definitely up for that take care and that was Colin Green of Spike Pit. Great guy, great friend. We play Astonishing Swordsman Sorcerers of Hyperborea together. And then I also ran a one-shot of The One Ring where he played Orifin. Um, I think I mentioned that the last time he called in. But yeah, um, thanks for calling in, Colin. I, I too would like to play Era. I am, I think, going to get a chance to play with um jeff collier collier um i hope i'm saying that right um he called in and said that he'd like to play sometime and i emailed him and we've i think got a plan to play on tuesday so hopefully i'll get some experience with that um but yeah um also that you know your call in is evidence that the podcast is working as intended that it is doing exactly what I wanted it to, which is to let people know about interesting games and game supplements and just cool shit that I found that uh, would be interesting and that you might not find otherwise. And that, um, yeah, just get the word out about interesting things because there's so much, there's so much cool stuff out there. And I have just an absurd number of PDFs that I want to share things about with you guys. Um, my I have a Google Doc with a list um, that has 92 entries on it right now. Um, some of which are multiples. So like I have a couple places where I have two or three things on one entry. Um 
So I've I've talked about a couple things. I talked about Era, talked about not just a brush war. I did a review of the Mecha Hack and of Astonishing Swordsmen and Sorcerers of Hyperborea, both great games. Um, the most recent Barbarians of Lemuria episode. Brazen Backgrounds is the most recent, well, no, it's not anymore the most recent thing I have on the list. I have a couple of other recent things on the list, but um, yeah, yeah, man, it, it's great to hear that you listen to the podcast and that you're interested in a game that I found and wanted to share with people. Um I also that uh, you mentioned dice pools, and I um, I talked in previous episodes about um, the way that the um, the D twenty plus modifier or D twenty plus or minus modifier trying to hit a target number mechanic in our Pathfinder game seemed to me to be really lacking in comparison to the one ring um, handful of dice for skills mechanic that I was researching at the time for our one ring one shot. Um, and I think that um, it remains true. I think there's something, well, for one thing, I think when you're playing in person, there's something really wonderfully visceral about picking up a handful of dice for something that you know you're good at, you know, you can, you know, your character hasn't necessarily been succeeding every time, but now they're doing the thing that they're built for, that they're so good at, and you pick up, you know, a couple of whatevers in Conan 2D20. You pick up four or five D20s because you spent momentum in um, Barbarians of Lemura. You pick up three D6 instead of two. Um in the one ring, you pick up that feet die, that 12-sider, and then a handful of six-siders because you've got some skill that you're really good at. And it's a, um, I think it is a great feeling. And it also, it's neat because I think it, um, there's something cool about the complexity of the math that can take place where, um, it's sort of um, when I think about percentile likelihoods and and distributions and stuff, it's really easy to think about where the the sort of midpoint of the bell curve is. It's a lot harder to think about how the bell curve is actually distributed beyond well, I know that this is the high point and close to it is going to be pretty similar and the at either in likelihoods are pretty low. And I think that that actually, for me at least, that kind of um, adds something interesting to the rolling because there's there's this sense um, that it is it, it's almost like because I can't do the math in my head, it's um, more more intuitive actually that I don't I couldn't calculate out exactly the odds of succeeding or failing but I have a really strong sense of what it means to pick up that third d6 in my hand what that means for the likelihood of succeeding um, whereas with a d20 I'm always just 
kind of calculating out, okay, here's the number I need to hit. Here's the number I need to hit. Here's the number I need to hit. Um, and uh, I know some people really like that. And and to be fair, I think there that it can work well and I actually like the way that it works in um, ICRPG and the various Runehammer games, um, Xeno Dead Zone. I don't know if I've talked about on the podcast, but is another game that I want to talk about. Um, one of the things that ICRPG and Xeno Dead Zone both do is that there are flat target numbers for everything. So you can see exactly what you need to hit to do something. You know, if the target number is 13, you look at that D20 and say, I need to get a 13 or higher, or rather I need to get whatever will add up to a 13 or higher. Cause I've got some modifiers that are going to add to it. Um, but really it, uh, I really like the pool of dice mechanic. I think it feels really visceral to pick up more dice. I think it also, um, I don't know. I'm trying to think of a way to describe it effectively. What I get out of pool of dice mechanic versus single roll with modifiers. Um, Somehow I think it ties into um, themes because of the way that a pool of dice changes the bell curve. Um, it alters probabilities at different sections on the bell curve differently, essentially. Um, adding a flat modifier adds the same amount no matter what you roll on a d20. Adding another d6 to a handful of d6s, it um, it adds six points to the maximum you could roll. It adds one point to the minimum you could roll. And it adds three and a half points to the average you could roll. And so there's a sense that your kind of maximum ability at your skill and your absolute worst fuck up are changing a little differently. Um, And that's really interesting, I think. And that ties in to game mechanics and theme, actually. So I'm going to start talking. I'm going to talk first about the phase rip game and the session that we did. And then I'm going to start talking about game mechanics and theme and how that ties in with all of this. So phase rip, what happened? Well, we had another great big fight. Um, We essentially had a, a a um one session one action scene session again um similar to the ash game in this case two hours instead of three hours and we only had two players um but it was it was great fun my character is dr walter lankowski the sasquatch um and he he turns into a great big furred monster thing and uh beats the shit out of people Beat the shit out of some aliens. Um, and then Jeff was playing Vindicator, a sort of um, sort of like Iron Man suit wearing 
um, shoots concussive blasts and then can dig through solid material, which was neat. Um, and that gets to um, what worked about the session really is that uh, that system works worked really well for creating kind of comic booky action. So um, I was talking with with the guys afterwards about one of the things that I thought one of the things that I realized was that when I was fighting um, in phase rip, you can get a green result, a yellow result, or a red result um, based on how well you roll. And one of the things that I realized is that the green results, green results are just a hit which normally would do a lot of damage, but these things had super intense armor, these Chitari Dreadnoughts. Um, so my hits only did 25 damage to creatures with 160 health. So not very much. Um, and my physical resistance was not, not as good as theirs. Um, it was all right, but they they were definitely um, able to dish out a lot more damage. And what that meant was I sort of realized at some point, like, you know, every time I punch, uh, I might as well only be going for for yellow or red results because yellow or red results have secondary knock-on effects. And in particular, yellow and red results have um, slam effect, which is where you have a chance to knock the enemy that you just hit flying backwards. And in our case, we were fighting on a um, an oil tanker. And so the idea is you knock them backward, knock them flying off the ship into the ocean, and then they become somebody else's problem at that point. Um, very kind of cinematic comic booky, you know, send them flying into the ocean um, and then they just don't come back. Um, not 100% realistic, maybe, but great fun. So, well, um, and similarly, Jeff's character, Vindicator, um, Vindicator could shoot with these kind of energy beam things. Um, but the energy beams did very little damage on direct hits unless Jeff rolled really well, like he did a couple times and got a kill result, which is is a special shooting result to just um to to kill something, right? Like a, a critical hit essentially. Um and those critical hits smashed through the the robot alien, the Chitari. I don't know if they're they're like cyborg aliens or something. I'm not sure. They're weird. Um, anyway. So the result of all that was really a kind of um, an interesting blend of different types of action. And in particular, there was a real sense of the sort of comic book over-the-top um, the action that was effective was sort of, you know, big punches that sent people flying, um, but that a lot of the the back and forth sort of standard trading blows wouldn't necessarily do any meaningful damage. Um, that's interesting. 
There is another superhero game that I know about, Icons. And I think one of the concepts behind the way that Icons is designed combat-wise is to have all combat results be um, those big comic book action moments that basically you're sort of assumed to be doing the the trading blows thing normally almost and then you um have the big you know the sort of thing that would take up a whole page the one big action moment um that's what you actually roll for you don't roll for the the sort of minor stuff that is my understanding um, but I am not an expert on icons. Perhaps I should attempt to become one and do an overview on icons soon. Um, I have a couple things I want to overview, and I'm going to talk about what I'm thinking about overviewing. And if you, listener, would like me to overview something from the list or, honestly, uh, something else, let me know. Anyway... Phase rip. Um, much, much less role-playing in this uh, session, although still a fair bit of role-playing. Um, we had to save the the sailors that were on the ship um, from the Chitari Dreadnoughts, um, and we ended up saving them all with, um, with the help of North Star, who at one point, right near the end... Um, Sasquatch got blasted with a flamethrower and went down and I took over North star and basically, um, body slammed one of these massive aliens, uh, flying as fast as I could and did a shitload of damage to it. It was great. Um, it was, it was pretty interesting to see, um, how the system handled some of these sort of out there superpower things going on. Um, But um, overall, it's it was a great fun session, worth checking out. It was big. There was a lot of action. It moved quickly still, um, which I think is a real a real um, virtue. And I, I say that when it was one session that was all one combat encounter. Saying that it moved quickly sounds sort of like how is that possible? Um, how is it possible that it could move quickly and have taken two hours for us to fight four enemies? Um, but it did, and that was cool. There was a lot going on. There was a lot of a lot of chances for interesting kind of inventive uses of our powers and super strength and stuff like that. Um, yeah, it was uh, it was fun. It was good. So now. I'm going to talk about theme and theme in my games and theme in game mechanics. And I'm going to tie it in to the dice pools discussion and to the phase rip discussion. So if you liked the, the dice pools and the phase rip discussions, you should stay tuned. If you liked the other stuff that I've talked about, you should stay tuned. If you didn't, why are you listening? Um, but ultimately, yeah, let's talk about theme in RPGs. So, Themes in RPGs. Um, I think themes in RPGs is something kind of complicated. Um, 
Boy, that's an understatement. Uh, it can be very complicated. A lot of that is because you have the interaction of the mechanical with the non-mechanical, I think. And when you have, um, I think of mechanical as the hard stuff, basically, and non-mechanical as the soft stuff interacting, um, you can have gaps open up between them. And um, in particular, it can be hard to think about how those two are going to interact smoothly and continuously. And um, I think it is a real skill to be able to run a game that feels like it has a, um, a theme. And it's really, it's a skill to just find the game that you want to run because it does what you um, are looking for thematic wise. Um, that's part of my, my sort of issue. I don't know. Issue, issue makes it sound kind of more negative than it is. I think that it is um, just a little bit unfortunate that the industry is so filled with, D and especially D and D fifth edition, and it's not that D and D is a bad game. It's just that it, I think, um, it would be a little bit like if everybody was only reading one genre. You know, I like fantasy books, but I don't want to only read fantasy. Um, even really good fantasy, I want to read other stuff too. Um, I like superhero movies, but I don't want to only watch superhero movies. Um, and in the same way, this is where the um, the interaction between the mechanical and the non-mechanical becomes interesting. Because, yes, in an RPG, there's a lot of stuff, a lot of that non-mechanical stuff you can control, um, obviously. And therefore change the way that the mechanical is presented. But the question, I think, then becomes, does the mechanical stuff is it actually working in the kind of in the the harmonious in the best way that it could possibly be um aristotle thought that what made art great was when everything worked kind of harmoniously um when the themes lined up with everything else and the, you know, the, the diction and the cadence of the poetry and all of that sort of stuff. Um, among other things, he, he had a lot. He, you should read Aristotle's poetics because it's great. Um, but one of the things that that makes me think about often is what, what should you be, how, how should you be thinking about what you want to run and what you want to play? Um, do you pick a game system and then decide what you want to do with it? Do you have an idea for what you want to do and then try to find a game system that would work for it? Do you do kind of a combination? Um, do you just read game systems and say, you know what, I'm only going to run things sort of in the way that they were designed, in the way that they were envisioned? Do you make your own game system because you can't stand the other things? Um, 
do you go on to r slash lfg and beg people to play in your games that aren't fifth edition um that's apparently what i do with my time um tell people hey why don't you come play something that isn't just 5e because everybody's playing 5e and i want to play other interesting things um I have lost my train of thought. Oh, you also kind of have to think about what, um, there's a sort of sense of kind of what themes are going to be there and what, what's going to be available, but then also what, um, range thematically is going to uh take place for instance um i i really like or i haven't seen it in a while but i definitely did like and i assume that i would like it again if i watched it again the first iron man movie and one of the things that i like about it is the kind of um what i see as the sort of wildness of them not quite knowing what to do with everything that um i mean there's a sequence in that movie where iron man puts on a suit of armor and then flies to afghanistan to punch terrorists to death and blows up like a t-34 and a bunch of missiles and a bunch of people um and there's something that is sort of I think you could take it multiple ways. You could get upset by it and, and nothing wrong if, if that upsets you and you don't like the idea of Iron Man going to Afghanistan to punch terrorists. Um, if, if that's how you feel, by all means, you're um, perfectly entitled. And I think you've got a good point. Um, I think you can also take it in a sort of, uh, this is sort of fun and wacky way. The, the sort of, Similar to another of the superhero movies that I like is the first Captain America movie. And one of the things that I really like is this idea that there is this special organization within the Nazi party that is so evil that the Nazis kicked them out. And Captain America has to fight them by punching them in the face. Um, and that's sort of absurd and, and wonderfully ridiculous and um, almost tone deaf in a sense, in a, in a really wonderful, or in a way that I really like, it's sort of tone deaf. Um, it, I probably would think about it differently if I were, um, German, but you know, I, I am not. And so I don't have to think about it that way. Um, I can just enjoy the silliness of Captain America has to punch the bad guys who are so evil that the Nazis kicked them out. Um, so that leads into the kind of thematic stuff that is going on in the phase rip game. And one of the things that I am enjoying about that game is I think that um, Kevin Dungeon Musings has set it up to be playing in the MCU universe. Um, and so there's references to the larger MCU things, but I think he, his, he kind of thematically in addition to doing some of these story game things is also um, going in a little bit of a, 
a little bit of that stuff that I like of kind of, I don't know if there's a, a term for it, almost um, serious cartoons is how I think about it, that there's kind of ridiculous and silly things going on with serious thematic and dramatic stakes almost. Um, I think about the the original Conan the Barbarian movie with Arnold Schwarzenegger, and that movie I think is fascinating because the um, the little text that's on the screen pre-credits is a quote from Thus Spoke Zarathustra by Friedrich Nietzsche. Um, and there is a lot of really kind of interesting philosophical stuff going on in that movie um, from the perspective of, of the way that it is, the way that John Milius's elements come into play, the, um, the way that it is shot and the way that it is written and the way that the story is paced and all of that sort of stuff. Um, but then it is also just absurd and ridiculous and Arnold Schwarzenegger. I like, um, him in a lot of different movies. I like him as Conan a lot, but he's not a great actor. Um, he doesn't transform into the role in the way that a, a really talented actor would um, do so. He's he's kind of ridiculous, and you can tell that somebody had the clever idea to not have him talk that much because he sounds kind of silly when he talks. Um, yeah, uh, that maybe that was mean. I don't know. Um, anyway, but I like I like Conan the Barbarian, the the original Conan the Barbarian a lot. I've never finished. Conan the Destroyer, um, because it is, um, silly, but not in the right way for me. I don't know why I have a very kind of specific taste for that sort of serious cartoons. Um, anyway, the Marvel phase rib game, I think part of what I'm really liking about it is that it has that thematically going on. Um, we have, we had a character die, we had a character get shot and get put in a wheelchair. We had um, some pretty serious. We had another character have to tell the fiance of the character who died that, or the going to be fiance of the character who died that he was going that the character who died was going to propose, and that was just awful. That was that was so hard, kind of hard hitting emotionally. Um, it worked. It was a, a, a great scene. Um, it just worked really well while also playing this kind of over the top supers game with a lot of, um, the kind of silly fun over the top comic book mechanical stuff going on that the, the mechanics also reinforce. And this is, this is, I think, um, one of the things about interplay between, um, mechanics and theme is that theme comes out of mechanics. Theme comes out of the hard stuff and the soft stuff. It comes out of mechanics and it also comes out of things like the GM's description of the world or the player's description of their character's actions or things like that. And that um, there's a really particular blend that I like a lot in the phase rip game that I think comes out of having these sort of over the top comic book mechanics paired with a um, a story that is pretty deeply character driven and has uh, weight to it. Um, 
And that goes into the the action scene that we played out because the enemies that we fought were not the um you know the they were faceless but they weren't the faceless grunts who you just one shot every time and they present no real threat um and that if i had anything uh if i had something negative to say about the action in marvel movies it's that they they do faceless grunts who aren't a real threat a number of times um they kind of the the real threatening action set pieces really um are only between named characters um which i think is part of why why some of the movies work better than the others um and that's a very superhero comic book thing i mean you don't want to watch captain america get beat up by uh 10 or 12 just random nobodies from off the street that would be pretty anticlimactic that might be interesting for a certain tone of game say something more kind of comics iron age hmm i just might have something that would fit with that um but i like i like thematically the way that the phase rip game is going so let's talk some other let's talk some other mechanical stuff um health pools health pools are i think a um really interesting place health pools and damage systems are a really interesting place where theme comes into play because they are totally mechanical um and they suggest interesting things about the nature of the world that the action is taking place in um in particular systems where you don't gain a lot more hit points or you don't gain a lot more wounds or you just can't get that much more health however health is measured um one of i think the interesting things about those systems is that you have a sense that the world is much flatter and that's not to say that the the heights of human achievement are necessarily easier to reach um but a a grandmaster martial artist um is just as vulnerable to getting shot as a random dude off the street um as opposed to in games where you get hit points every level where um especially I think one of the kind of um, the unfortunate thing about the way that that works is that um, you change the the pacing and the tone and the tension of action scenes when you have a larger hit point pool. Um, you either need to start facing monsters or enemies that are going to dish out more damage so that they're taking essentially an equivalent portion of the hit points away. Um, and that keeps things moving at about the same speed. But then you get to the question of why, why bother leveling up at all if we're going to do that? Um, or more likely, it seems like what happens is that you get some sense that things get, um, A little more, a, a little less lethal, um, and gradually less and less lethal. Um, and I think there's things that can be done to combat that. 
But ultimately, um, it seems to me kind of unfortunate when you have adventurers who have lots and lots of hit points and there's some sense, especially um, it seems to me almost a failure mechanically of game design for a book to have to say, okay, you need four encounters before the boss so that you can take away some of their um, healing resources so that you can get rid of some of their hit points because they're going to have a lot of hit points and so that you can take away their um, hit die that they use for short rests and all that sort of stuff. And that's, this is just me shitting on fifth edition now, but really um, there's something kind of unfortunate, I think for thematically the sort of games and the sort of worlds that I want to run and to play in about that feeling. Um, And that goes back to, you know, I, uh, apparently there is a fair bit of discussion about what the best places, best sort of period within an adventurer's life to play D&D is, and it's pretty consistently not necessarily level one, but it's not level 20. Um, the, the feel of the game, I think, just gets kind of out of hand. As opposed to, so to go back to my example of Barbarians of Lemuria, Barbarians of Lemuria, you could get one or two or three more lifeblood over the course of a, an adventurer's career. You get a little more, um, but not much more. You know, three hit points when standard weapons do 1d6 damage. That's useful, but that's not a ton. Um, and that creates a very different feeling to the world. There's some sense, and I, I like... Part of it is my kind of sense of realism. I like the idea that you can't actually get any better at getting stabbed with a sword. You can get better at fighting with a sword and avoiding getting stabbed. But you can't actually get better at getting stabbed with a sword. And at the same time, I think that helps to make the rest of the world feel... um, naturally engageable. And that's one of the things that I really like about RPGs is the sense that not just the larger world is a a living and breathing space where things are happening outside of your control, but also that it is um, possible to engage with it. And it seems like that's one of the limitations with a level-based system is that you can end up with like the the kind of video gamey sandboxy thing where oh this island is full of level one stuff and this next island is full of level two stuff and this next section is full of level three stuff and there's since what what the fuck is going on how does that work how does the ecology of that work and and sort of more generally why why is it like that versus in um barbarians of lemuria i think you could you know you could have your barbarian walk in and they could probably fight. They might not necessarily win, but they could at least try to go toe to toe with um, any king in the entire realm. And one of the other things that that does is that forces rewards to work a little differently. Um, You cannot get better at getting stabbed with a sword, but you can get more people carrying swords with you. And I think that's a much more interesting way to do um, 
something like level ups is not the sense that your character innately changes that much, but that their relationship to the world changes, right? Um, in real life, leveling up, I'm going to use um, promotion within a business or within an organization or within a military as an example for the equivalent of leveling up. And, you know, a second lieutenant is not necessarily a better sharpshooter than a private in a military. Um, a second lieutenant does have more responsibilities and has kind of more that they can do in the sense of their their um, responsibilities and their tasks are on a different scale than that than what is expected of that private. Um, and I think that's a much more interesting way to handle something like leveling up. In in that example, Barbarians of Lemuria game, you know, you don't necessarily get more hit points, but you can go from you can like Conan go from being a sort of on your own adventure with a sword and a loincloth and nothing else to being a, um, a mercenary captain or a general or a king um, who has more responsibilities and who has more power within the world and whose relationship with the world has fundamentally changed. And I think that also ties in talking about themes and what I want out of games that I play or that I run I think one of the really cool thematic things that goes on is the way that players become attached to the world that you're playing in. And that goes hand in hand with giving their player characters um, a different relationship to the world, right? That's what we're talking about here is stopping murder hoboism because you give them a house and you say you should care about this shit. Um, so this has gotten very rambly and I haven't talked about dice pools at all. And I wanted to talk a little bit about dice pools, a little bit more about dice pools and themes and games that are really deeply thematic that I like. I don't think I'm going to do that this episode. I think what I'm going to do is pause the recording and then I'm going to talk a little bit about some of the physical games that have either come in or are coming and that therefore I want to talk about on the podcast so that you have some idea of what's coming up and what to look forward to and all of that sort of stuff. And then I'll do the outro and that'll be it. Okay. So stay tuned. So things that I want to overview, what all is there? Well, there's, um, the Player's Guide to Zoth, which I talked about, which is a free um, guide to this interesting sword and sorcery world. I think I mentioned it in my Barbarians of Lemuria overview. There is Revelry in Torth, which is a sort of science fantasy world adventure thing. I don't know. It sounds interesting. Um there is Spears of the Dawn, which is from Sine Nomine Publishing and is African-inspired old-school gameplay. Um, I don't know that much about it, but it seems really cool. Um, Feng Shui 2, I have the book sitting over there on my shelf. Um, I would like to run 
um, well, I have an idea for an interesting, what I think would be an interesting one shot to run with Feng Shui too. I don't know if I would run a long campaign with it, but it would be cool to do uh, a sort of one neat action adventure um, and then be done with it. Probably not forever, but uh, just, I, I like running one shots. I like the self-contained story element. I don't need big, long campaigns. I like having kind of one interesting story, partly because I think um, that there's a lot of kind of, A, there's an impetus to just do the cool shit. Don't put it off. Just, um, you know, have cool stuff happen in your one shot. Blow up things and have exciting things happen and all of that sort of stuff. Um, yeah. What else? I want to talk about Pendragon and Paladin. Pendragon is by Chaosium. Paladin is um, also published by them. And they are nightly role-playing. Um, in particular, I want to run some... I don't know if it would be Pendragon or Paladin, but one of them... Um, my my buddy Kevin Madison, Dungeon Musings, has this idea for Appendix August, which is running a bunch of games in August that are based off of the literature that inspired Dungeons and Dragons. So run things based off of the Conan stories and Clark Ashton Smith and Lord Dunsany and um, Tolkien himself. And then obviously the King Arthur mythos and the the matter of Britain and the matter of France, both inspiring things for adventure stories and all of that sort of stuff. Um, there's also, I have two interesting, well, I have a couple of supers games that I want to talk about. I mentioned icons and I want to do something with icons because icons looks really cool and it has random superhero generation. Um, looks like it plays really quickly and all that sort of stuff too. Um, I think it'd be fun to talk about. I also have two other ones, fallen justice and cold steel wardens, both of which are designed to emulate iron age comics in particular. Um, Fallen Justice is designed to emulate um, superpower-less vigilante actions. Um, su superpower-less vigilantes going out and, you know, blurring the line between cop and criminal type stuff. Um, and then Cold Steel Wardens has room for superpowers in it, but it is also Iron Age comics role-playing, and there's a lot that is built around um, trying to establish the various themes of Iron Age comics. Um, particularly, I haven't read that much of Fallen Justice yet. I read, I, I read about half of and skimmed the other half of Cold Steel Wardens, and it looks really cool, um, and I'd like to talk about it. Um, I... I don't have a huge background in comics at all, actually, although I've read some of the the famous, um, the ones that get talked about in both of those games in particular, things like The Dark Knight Returns and Watchmen, um, both I like a lot. Um, yeah, so that, 
Oh, and then there is Vigilante City. Survive this Vigilante City, um, which is coming in the mail. And I have the PDFs for it, so I can do an overview of it. Um, that's another supers game um, with rules for non-superhero heroes, non, non-super, non-metahuman heroes, and humans with, with special abilities. And then also like uplifted animals, like if you want to be... Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles or something. I don't know. I haven't looked enough at it. But um, let me go over that list again. Revelry in Torth, Player's Guide to Zoth, um, Feng Shui 2, Fallen Justice Cold Steel Wardens, Icons, and Survive This Vigilante City. Um, and then there's some other things. Who knows if that's going to be the order that I do things in. I It changes what I want to do all the time. Um, this is very much, if you can't tell, I have not planned that much of all of this. I'm just sort of sitting at my computer and talking about stuff and having fun with it. Um, so I hope you're having fun with it too. But yeah, I think that's, if any of those sound particularly interesting to you, let me know and I will do the interesting ones first. Otherwise, we will see what I overview next. Um, I'm not sure when that is going to be. I have been publishing a lot of episodes of this and I need to decide um, how regularly I want to publish because I, I can't, I don't think I can do a 30 minute episode every day or something like that. Well, I maybe could, but I shouldn't. Um, partly because the, the quality of the material is likely to go down as I don't have as much time to think about it in between episodes, but thank you for listening. Hit me up on Twitter at cows from Powis. Um, Hit me up here on Anchor, send a message in like Colin Green of Spike Pit and get it featured in the show. Um, otherwise, I've been Arlen Walker and I've been live from Pelham's Wasteland. See you next time.